Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with Mr. George Gertow, who is the Chief Security Officer for Sumo Logic. George has over 20 years of IT and systems management and security related experience. Um, he has worked in roles that include security, compliance, cloud computing. Uh, he has helped build agile security and compliance teams, uh, modern day security operation centers. And he's also on the board of several security related startups. Got a huge amount of experience, and I'm really not even sure where we should start. So maybe we should just welcome George. George, how are you today? I'm doing well, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on Secure Talk. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. My pleasure. And I, hey, I got to ask before we, we we dig into the security stuff, where whereabouts are you based? I'm based in Frisco, Colorado. So it's a small, sleepy town, like right in the middle of a lot of places that people know, like Vail and Breckenridge. It's 9,200 feet above sea level, and I'm looking at snow right now. Wow. Are you a, a downhill cross-country skier, biker? What, what's, uh, what are you doing up there? <laughs> looking for looking for the ghost of Hunter Thompson or what? <laughs> I'm always looking for ghosts, but I'm an avid snowboarder. Um, you know, so that is probably my biggest passion. And mm -hmm. I look forward to winter, but in the summertime, there's a pretty large reservoir across the way from me. So I get out on the water quite a bit, too. That's awesome. I am um, <clears throat> my probably biggest passion is uh, I'm sports related is mountain biking. I do a lot of mountain biking mm -hmm. and um, a couple of the people I follow. I'm really envious because because of the nature of their work and the way they've organized their lives, they can spend, you know, spring, summer, fall mountain biking. And then they spend the winters up in the Colorado Rockies doing things like uh, cross country skiing, which is an amazingly great workout for your cardio which just makes them that much more competitive on the bike uh, turning you know when it come around bike season so must be but must be very nice that you can do that yeah mark and i gotta tell you it's so funny i love the way that you say that winter training for biking for me it's opposite like everything because i mountain bike as well too but everything i do in the summer is to prepare me for winter because it's all about snowboarding and getting that longevity in. i'm no spring chicken anymore but i'm planning on doing this absolutely as long as i can that's awesome. Hey, I, after this, I'll, I'll send you one of my favorite articles. Um, it was a guy, he was uh, even in mid seventies. He's the guy that started the ballet fitness centers um, and he sold them. And when he was mid seventies, he was still snowboarding like 200 days a year, <laughs> which is uh, love this guy. <laughs> yeah, very, very inspirational. Anyway, hey, um, I got to ask you, I mean, you know, your experience uh, expands what, you know, close to 20 years, uh, over 20 years, also in a variety of different areas of security. And and so what, you know, what comes top to mind for you right now in terms of like, these are some critical things that we need to be thinking about. And, you know, they, some people, for example, is it supply chain? Is it real estate? Is it, you know, vulnerabilities? I mean, what are what are the areas that are top of mind and top of concern for you? It's so funny that you just said real estate. So I'm actually, uh, Mark, lucky enough to serve and support a team called Risk, which is mm -hmm. real estate, IT, security, and compliance. So they all are one organization with me at Sumo. And for me, it's it's almost like where we're at as an industry today, you know, whether it is making really good real estate decisions that make people feel safe and appreciated when they come back into the office, or 
making people more productive as well as being secure in the new modality of a remote workforce. Like, I think that those are the things that really I, I stick with top of mind because I want people to have an incredible user experience and be as productive and creative as they can. But at the same time, we got to bake security into that in a pretty seamless fashion because it's just exploding, isn't it, Mark? Like every day you look at the front page of the paper and it's like, oh my gosh, another MFA fatigue attack at Uber or all these other different companies that you see just constantly getting ransomware or supply chain attacks. But I think if you start with that kind of approach, which is what are end users going through? How can you make the experience better? How can you build seamless security into it? You're probably going to get pretty far along in the game. So, so what are some of you know some best practices or key recommendations on that front? Yeah, so great question. I think a lot of it is how how is that experience when it comes to things like SSO, MFA? Those should to be a must. How do you roll out MFA? Is it something that's really easy for the end user to, to, to be able to use. I mean, I think today it is, and it should be part of their common practice. And then also having them understand how this helps them personally. So meaning, you know, like if you try to log into a financial app or Salesforce or whatever it may be at work, you're gonna have an MFA push every once in a while. Shouldn't you start adopting that too when you start using your own personal email, social media, and all these different things? And so I think the more that you can educate and evangelize on those types of things and why security is so important to not only their work experience, but home experience, I think the better off the humans are going to be. I mean, my goal one day, and this is super audacious, Mark, is that security departments don't even exist maybe 20, 25 years from now because everyone is so functional at doing these types of things. Yeah, I mean, for me, on, on the personal front, you know, what I tell all friends and family is just turn on the darn MFA, man. you know, I mean, that's going to eliminate. Now, I haven't seen numbers on it recently, but um, I'm assuming that there are still some small uh, small number of attacks that do get through past MFA. Um, but but in general, generally speaking, you know, that that, that shuts down, what, 99% of the, of the, um, the attacks? Easily. I mean, easily, it is just a no-brainer today. I mean, we have an environment, Mark, where if developers don't, don't turn on MFA to their AWS accounts, their account gets disabled, um, you know, within 24 hours, and we will continue that action with further action. It is just a no-brainer. It's a must. And thank you for, like, passing that on to your family and friends, because personally, like, when people's bank accounts get compromised or their social media accounts and things like that, it's usually because there's not that extra step. And yes, there's been exploits lately, like MFA fatigue is one to where people are so used to just hitting the accept button on a push, but it's mm -hmm. under a rare circumstance. We got to start somewhere. Security is not perfect. And so getting 80% there, I think, is a fantastic goal. Do you see the the adoption rates differ um, in different, I don't know, regions or different countries or different industries? I do um, across the board when it comes to security. Uh, you know, it seems like, and, th and this is not picking on anyone, but I, I, I think because of so many of the privacy regulations, a lot of companies are not as prone to roll out security offerings in different parts of the world, you know, for example, in Europe, in different parts of Europe specifically. And it, something's got to change um, because I think that if you ask someone, would you rather be protected? And the risk is possibly, possibly that someone can see your data, 
which is a huge, you know, it would take so much to get to that versus being wide open and having someone compromise your data and be able to do ransomware on you or publish your information on the dark web. I think they would take option one, but because of privacy regulations, it makes it extremely difficult. And, you know, a lot of paranoia exists out there as well too, Mark. Sure, sure. I have a just a, a story from Japan. I, I worked in Japan for about six years, and um, I was consulting with a it's close to two billion dollar a year uh, in in sales or revenues uh, company, and was meeting with their CISO, and we started talking about MFA. And I said, so what? You know, what what are your MFA policies? And well, we we don't use it. I was like, well, what what about your you know your admins, your global admins? Well, they thought it would be a lot of work and kind of a hassle. <laughs> I'm like, so, so the whole thing about you know just-in-time permissions and elevated permissions and 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 then MFA for it, it, it's and this this was what is this like two years ago? So obviously for me, what I saw um, is that you know cloud adoption rates vary around the world, and then you know security security tools that seem seem like commonplace here and a lot of places aren't you know and so if you if you are part of a global organization i guess it's really important to that whole education element that you know this is these this is why we're doing this and this is how it's helping you absolutely it's huge and it's also you bring up a really interesting point too about um you know cloud and, and what that adoption looks like because i always feel like whenever we have a big paradigm shift like this it should be a forcing function to get better security hygiene. And, and I got many examples where it wasn't, you know, like before I came to Sumo Logic, I, I was at VMware. And when I was at VMware, one of the things I noticed, Mark, was when everyone went from physical systems to virtual systems, they brought all the same crap over from those physical systems to the virtual systems. It's like, no, like now's the time to clean up, you know, and start doing things right. Um, and then now, you know, like what you're starting to see with cloud adoption is I am encouraged that people are leveraging MFA more. Um, but it, look, let's let, let's just talk specifically about different breaches. Um, for example, Okta, you can call it a breach, not call it a breach. But the issue they had, uh, which, by the way, I have a lot of respect for Okta. I'm an Okta user to get that out there. But part of the problem they had was they had a third party contractor who filled out a questionnaire, which the questionnaires are a problem. I'm sorry. Every company gets inundated with these like 350 to 900 questions of, you know, how are you doing SSO? How are you doing MFA? How are you doing logging? And it's just a bunch of check marks. And so that third party contractor, think about this, checked off the box to say they were using MFA and they weren't for a company that provides MFA. And that's where the um, threat was realized and that's where the vulnerability came into play and they were able to access some accounts. So it's just crazy like how that little extra step of MFA can avoid so much. Absolutely. And and you bring up another kind of interesting point is is the the vulnerability of the supply chain, you know, the people, the companies that you're working with, partnering with, and everybody is relying on these little question questionnaires, security questionnaires, RFIs, RFP documents that that kind of delve into it. So, you know, I mean, from where you sit, I, I'm curious, you know, because you, you've got responsibility for company security. Uh, I, I'm also seeing, let me back up. I'm, you know, I see security as something that protects a, an organization, but I can I can also see it if, if it's done right, it becomes almost like a sales asset. Because <laughs> does that make sense? 
Oh man, Mark, I I'm a huge fan of yours. <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> I mean, we have to get out of this mindset of being a cost center um, because it does become an asset. The more rigor, the more work that you've put into building security programs, deep compliance programs, it becomes an asset. And so let me just step back a little bit myself. So Sumo Logic, for those of you that don't know, we're the gold standard of logging analytics in the cloud. And that can now start reaching into the observability space, the cloud sim space, but it all really comes down to logging. And it's really funny because like people think that logging is not sexy, but every time you have a problem, where do you go is logs. Now, we've had this very mature security and compliance program for you know almost the eight years that I've been there. And, and so one of the things that we pride ourselves on, and this is kind of something that people don't get intuitively, we're a SaaS-based company, a cloud-native SaaS-based multi-tenant company. So if, for example, you're responsible for PCI, well, when we have our PCI program in place, that comes for free to our customers because we have to do that work in all the infrastructure that they would normally have that responsibility. And this is what I love about SaaS companies that do it right, because we partner with a lot of SaaS companies, obviously, as well. But most people, when they're going into SaaS or going into the cloud, don't really start thinking about how that part is alleviated. Now, they still have the responsibility over their hybrid environment and other solutions as well. But when it comes to supply chain, I look for those things is who's been doing this, who can take more work off of our plate because they provide these services for their own internal security and compliance that will make us focus more on the things that matter, the applications and the data that service our customers. Makes makes a, a lot of sense. And I mean, and you did mention uh, some of your customers are in a hybrid environment. I'm, I'm pretty sure it, to some degree, most organizations are, you know, there's always something. Um, totally. What... What do you, uh, you know, what are what are some best practices related to making sure that you know what you're doing on prem is aligned with your 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 cloud? It's one of the toughest problems that exist out there because you know it's a lot of the tooling that people are using, unfortunately, on prem don't really work in the cloud and and, and vice versa. So you got to make a bet one way or another. But before you even get to tooling, for me, it's more processes and frameworks. You know, so. Can you adopt a framework or a process that's going to be just as effective in the cloud, on-premise, um, and with different cloud offerings as well, too, that are going to benefit the organization and help it move forward? The problem always lies in when is the company more in the cloud than on-premise? And we went through this at VMware. Like, Mark, I think VMware could have owned the cloud because if they would have just built a public cloud, you could have moved vSphere to vSphere workloads. But I saw when I was there, wow, this company is going to stay private cloud for a long time. I'm out, <laughs> you know, because I believe the world's going to go to the cloud eventually. But, you know, what you said is true. Most companies are not there yet. I think we all expected it to happen really fast. So I would say, like, adopt the right processes, policies, procedures, put in things like SSO and MFA that work with both environments. Um, make sure that you start changing your mindset around data centers and centers of data because data is going to be everywhere and how to best protect that data puts you way ahead of the game regardless of where it's at. Again, makes makes tons of uh, sense. Um, you know, sometimes companies they they move to the cloud. This is typically smaller, medium-sized businesses. They'll move they'll move um, as much as possible to the cloud, and they assume that hey, you know, we're using AWS, we're using Azure, so everything's going to be secure because you know we're just outsourcing it to them. Do you see any issues with that? 
Oh gosh, huge issues. Um, and, and this this is on both sides though, you know. So for example, a few years ago, it, it's public knowledge, AWS had a lot of issues with S3 data leakage problems. Um, and it was exactly what you just said, Mark, which is people assumed, okay, I'm moving all my data to AWS, I'm moving it to S3, I'm good. Uh, there's a lack of knowledge around the shared responsibility model, which is exactly where everyone should start. People should identify with, with, with whatever cloud service provider they're working with, who is responsible for what. And like in those cases, I really did get the feeling that AWS didn't do enough to empower their users to understand basic things they had to do around S3, like server client-side encryption, logging and monitoring turned on, like those things weren't like right in customers' playbooks. And then at the same time, you know, as a consumer, you got to go into things eyes wide open and realize that, hey, I got to do some things here as well too, to make sure that my environment remains secure. More, more great advice. So, I pretty much every day I pick up the paper and, uh, or virtually, because I don't get a paper anymore, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and there's always some news about, you know, uh, federal programs um, or different things that the Biden administration is doing in order to enhance our, you know, cybersecurity posture as a country. Um, are you seeing anything that, um, that, that, you know, excites you or worries you at all? Um, I'd say more things that excite me, you know, because I think his executive order was dead on. It needed to happen um, as well as his SBOM, so the Software Bill of Materials. I think that's a tricky one because you don't want to give up your secret sauce, but people should definitely have visibility into what your supply chain looks like, some of the things you use, you know, how much open source are you leveraging? Even though I love open source, um, it's still something you should be transparent with folks about. And then there's three really big things coming down the compliance frameworks, which are the new SEC uh, cybersecurity guidelines, which force companies to um, report a material incident within four days to the SEC and their investors. That's all good transparency plus more of a board presence around cybersecurity because a lot of companies are lacking that. Um, then you have PCI moving to 4.0, and then you have FedRAMP, which is a, um, a federal mandate for cloud service providers that work with federal agencies or those that support them moving from uh, NIST 800-53 Rev 4 to Rev 5. So you have all these movements, I think, that are really going to be good with the industry. They'll have some problems of their own, but all, uh, underneath it all, what I see is transparency getting organizations to be more transparent about how their cybersecurity is working, where some of the deficiencies may be. And then the most important thing is reporting incidents way ahead of time so that people can protect themselves. That's huge. And I didn't know the details for this SEC uh, regulations. The four days, I mean, I, I just might, I don't remember exactly how long it was for the Equifax breach, how long that they sat on the information. And um, and, I, and I'm just wondering with these new regulations, is there some type of penalty mechanism or, or fine or anything like that built in? Oh man, Mark, you, ju you just hit on the golden argument um, because like right now they're proposed and they haven't finalized anything yet and they're moving pretty slow. And I think one of the reasons why they're moving slow is because there's just so much going on right now that they wanna make sure that they don't miss anything with which to me is like, just get it out there. But here's what I think is going to happen. If I had to look into my crystal ball, and again, I could be wrong, is we've had fines for too long. So, for example, PCI violation, GDPR privacy violation, 
you know, someone gets fined, you know, a few million dollars. Like for us, that's a big deal. But for a lot of other companies, it's a slush fund, you know, and mm -hmm. so they pay the fine, people forget to move forward. I got a gut feeling, Mark, that based upon what we saw with Joe Sullivan, uh, what happened with Uber, that the DOJ is going to get involved. When this is coming from a federal mandate, um, I believe that if companies don't start following these practices, you're going to start seeing some people's butts on the line, which can be scary to someone in my position. But at the same time, like if you try to do what's legally correct and have stewardship of what's right for the company, hopefully we all come out of this okay. But that Joe Sullivan case sure scared a lot of people. Speaking of which, uh, for people in your position, I mean, I, I wouldn't want that uh, level of responsibility. <laughs> I just, uh, I want to sleep at night, right? I mean, what, um, what is top of mind for your concern? I mean, earlier you mentioned, you know, the uh, the security of, you know, the, your, your sites and so on and so forth. But, it, you know, just, just back of your mind, like, hey, you know, this is something that we need to get on. Or uh, you can flip it over and say, you know, what kind of heuristic or or process do you have in place so that you don't have these kind of ongoing concerns that are piling up? Yeah, look, you know, I think the ongoing concerns are always going to be there no matter what. But when you had like some material things take place with like Log4j, for example, it was such a good wake up call for the industry. So to go back and look and say, has everything that we've been doing working towards as an industry, as an organization, is it working? And I think a lot of us found out that, yeah, you know, like we came out of it, okay, Sumo Logic did, mm -hmm. but we found out a lot about ourselves, that's for sure. You know, like you, it was really a big wake up call to the industry. And um, I think moving forward, whenever we have things like that happen, we better be able to show improvement around it, you know? So like the four days for me, I'm really not that worried about it, you know? So some of the things that we're doing is we're creating like a cybersecurity working group that is gonna be working closely with the audit committee. So we're gonna have a little bit more over oversight, which I welcome, that's part of what the SEC guidelines are. And we can get into discussions around that as well too. It's going to be deciding what that material incident is. Because now you have like legal involved, you're gonna have your CEO involved. And the nervousness, if you know, across the industry is, what happens if the CISO thinks that it's a material incident and others don't, or vice versa? Mm -hmm. What happens? Again, this kind of goes right back to the Uber thing. Um, so I think that part's going to be a little nerve-wracking now from where I sit. You know, I've been at Sumo almost eight years, um, and I think that we've worked really well together as an executive team. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a really good board visibility, so I'm not so worried about it, but I'm really worried about my peers and what could possibly happen to them and what happens to this position moving forward. Well, you know, as you've run different security and compliance teams um, for, for many years, do you recommend having some kind of like, uh, whether it's scenario planning or dry runs or practices, okay, let, you know, let's, let's set aside a, a two hour, three hour or half day to kind of go through a scenario and say, okay, how are we going to react? How are we going to decide and, you know, and respond? Absolutely. Have to do it. No one likes doing them. I mean, they really don't, but you always learn more mm -hmm. uh, about your organization. You, it, it also is an opportunity to partner with other people that you're dependent upon. You know, I mean, you're going to have to partner with developers. You know, hopefully you already are, but you're going to have to partner with them because they're the ones that are releasing code, innovating that, you know, your consumers internally and externally are going to use. 
You have to partner really well with legal, you know, as to what can be said, what can't be said, the differences between a public company, private company, you got to partner with comms. So how do you message these things internally and externally? Because this is a point that people don't think about either is think about the pressure that security teams are under when something like a log4j happens internally. Externally, of course, we're going to expect that. What are you guys doing? Where are you at? Um, but internally, people are like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> well, where are you at? And you've been in sales before. So feeding that out to your customers at scale is important. And so I'm a huge believer in those exercises, but there's nothing like a real deal. There's just not. And so sometimes you have to take situations that may not have a potential threat to the company, but run it anyway and say, mm -hmm. Look, this has a chance, let's run it and, and see how we can get better and see how we've done. Yeah, because I mean, the last thing you want to do is start calling an audible and just kind of, you know, make making stuff up on the fly. Uh, so it's it's good to have some type of framework. But but as you're saying, there's nothing like the real drill um, to uh, to <laughs> to put a little heat heat on everybody, right? Hey, um, so uh, you did mention, you know, cooperating with developer developers. And prior to us uh, kicking off the show here, you mentioned that there are some some interesting discussions with the uh, the DevOps uh, Dev Security Ops or DevSecOps uh, people. Um, you want to kind of recap that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's it's one of these things where I think people got hung up on what's the definition too much. Is mm -hmm. it left? Is it security is everyone's responsibility, which the argument's always okay. If it's everyone's, then it's no one's. Um, is it breaking down the silos between development, security, and operations? So there's there's all these different opinions. And, and, I, and I think the consensus would be security by design. You know, and, and that, that could be with developers, that could be as an organization, that could be into the DNA of the company to where you're just doing everything with security as part of the overall design. Um, I do believe that it has helped our industry move quicker. I think it's helped us not be so much, be, speaking for security, not be blockers as much, um, learning more the methodologies that developers and other lines of business use, and then learning how to provide guardrails that work within that, instead of being the staunchy old security people that we used to be coming in saying, nope, these are all the controls. This is the way we've done everything everywhere else before. Here you go, go meet these. And then people are gonna be like, yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or we're, we're gonna have a lot of tension on our hands. And so I think the concept is good. Um, and I think it's going to continue to mature with, you know, mature CICD pipelines or the, the SDLCs move more to agile security. And then as a whole, because you said it in the beginning, I mean, security is in the news. And so it's top of mind for everyone. Um, but it's really interesting to see the different arguments around what it is instead of implementing something that works. I'm not going to argue with someone that says it breaks down the silos because guess what? A lot of people believe that a whole lot of people do. And if that's what it's doing for your org, and then great, because that needs to happen. You, you mentioned, um, obviously, security by design. And um, are there tools or platforms that can kind of accelerate the the adoption of security by design? There are. There, there definitely are. And I, and I believe, you know, just like us, like Sumo, that's been one of our core principles since we got started, you know, is let's help you know, folks be more secure from, you know, coding perspective, you know, from cradle to grave with pro, uh, with coding, from an IT resiliency type perspective, and then also from cybersecurity, you know, and, and having that reliability built in both across IT and security. But there's a, a fabric out there that people need to look at of capabilities of companies that really provide that, you know, that can just help you, you know, get that visibility. Mm -hmm. 
and a nugget I'll throw out there too, Mark, is as a security professional, don't go to SREs, site reliability engineers or developers and say, these are the tools you're going to use. Even if it comes out of your budget, if it affects them, let them pick the tool or, or let them have a huge decision-making piece of part of the process in selecting those tools. So that way they're empowered and they're comfortable with what it is that you're both going to use together. And it'll, it'll just really start again, kind of getting rid of some of that friction. Yeah. Let the subject matter expert um, pick the tool that they want to use. Don't just voice something on them and say, Hey, here you go. <laughs> Run with it. Yeah. No, that's not a, that's a recipe for some disgruntledness. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know you guys have a, a, a SIM offering. And could you just maybe point out if if you're in the market um, and you're looking to adopt a SIM, because it just seems like there's so many different options right now. What are what are some key things that you'd be looking at? Yeah, so that that is a really good question because architecture is a real thing. Um, you know, like as grateful as I was to go back to RSA this year, which I never thought I'd say that again, but it was great, and I spent a lot of time on the uh, showroom floor looking at what. Uh, different partners, vendors, and stuff had to offer out there. I think the architecture is tough to weed your way through. And and so one of the things that I always look for is, is this company someone that can help people out in a hybrid type modality? Mm -hmm. uh, so important because you see a lot of people that were on premise all of a sudden change their marketing and yeah, we can help you with cloud adoptions. Like, no, I'm sorry, you're still pushing hardware. <laughs> you're not going to really help me with digital transformation at that point. Um, or you're only going to solve one part of my problem. So someone who can really help people across the board, regardless of what their situation may be um, with their infrastructure. The second one is threats are getting more and more real. And this is where we really struggled, Mark, as a company. So some transparency here. When I first got to Sumo almost eight years ago, we were like, okay, SIM has always been a thing. It's always going to be a thing. But where do we invest? Do we invest in what people want us to, which is rule writing? So what we've always done, Boolean logic, if then, and then this is a possibility. But that only makes you as good as the rules that people write. And is that the, the way to go? Where we always wanted to lean in and we ended up leaning in was more built-in algorithms um, that help detect things based off of data and anomalies. So things that you haven't seen before when you have a good baseline of the environment. And that's where all this is headed. And so I look for a lot of that too, is a company investing a lot in real AI and ML, even though those were overused terms, those things matter because we have so much data out there today that why not leverage that data to look at things that can give us more of a predictive stance. You know, and I think the observability world has been ahead of security there for a while to where you deploy a workload and then you're like, oh, are these pieces and components working well? Where can they be deficient? And security wraps into that. That's the second one. The third one is exactly what I just said, which is give me products that can work across different functions. What I've never liked about SIM in particular is it was a security only tool. When you went to a developer, you know, or a different line of business and said, my SIM captured this, they would be like, okay, well, my other logging tool didn't capture that. Who's correct? And then you have finger pointing. Now what we're starting to see is this convergence of here's all the data. Here's the different lenses that you can look at that data through, whether you're a developer or an IT or operations, and that really matters, and especially at this age of tool consolidation, and then you know the tightening of dollars moving forward, more value. Hey, um, so I got to ask you, you know, 
before again before we start recording uh you mentioned that the, the one of the challenges that you face is is hiring or finding talent um why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the marketplace right now yeah and, and mark thank you for asking that question because i think you know there's always been this notion that there's not enough security people out there um you know and it really comes down to a couple of things you know like one security is not going away you know d- d- despite you know what, again like i mentioned before physical environments virtual environments shifting to cloud and all those types of things it's just one of those industries where people are needed and it's people with high ethical values and an aptitude and attitude to get work done in, in a difficult perspective sometimes. But I do think that we've been looking for talent in the wrong places. You know, so for example, one of the things we just got done talking about is this convergence of observability and security that's taking place within platforms. So why not hire more developers? You know, on my team, I'm lucky enough to, again, to serve and support some very unique talent that came from the developer world that when I first met them, like they didn't have a lick of security talent, you know, Mark. And it wasn't because of me, by the way, that they got the security talent. It was like being integrated with people on my team that did. And I can tell you now, like flat out the best security person on my team, and it's a rather large team, um, is a person that started off actually in finance. And wow. then moved, yeah. <laughs> the, dude, the dude used to approve my expense reports, but I, I sent out a company-wide email saying, hey, if anyone wants to join a security team, we're looking for talent, uh, we want to go internal first, meet with me at Starbucks. Guy told me he was a hack at night, won the hackathon at Sumo, and then quickly joined my team and is just a top-notch talent. But who knew? I don't think that we ask the right questions. I think that we expect too much of the normal check boxes of nothing wrong with this because, you know, I was one of those two CISSP, all those other types of things, this many years of, of industry experience. Look at it differently. Look at it as cross-pollinating people from finance who know how to dot the I's, cross the T's, by the way, to make really good compliance people, and people who have a development talent. Um, if you start looking there, you're going to notice that the manual effort is reduced within your environment. You collaborate better with developers because you have them on your team. They understand each other much better. And they also have a real, real aptitude and attitude to want to learn security and help protect people and just do better for the organization. Well, yeah, and I mean, in the, the technologies and the, the, the industry, the, the, the whole security landscape changes so quickly. And if you are relying on some, you know, your quote unquote experience only, um, you're going to get left behind. I mean, you need to have that hunger, that passion, that desire to kind of be, you know, be, be up to date and and, and understand what's uh, what's next and what are best practices. And, you know, and, and it's fun when you work with people like that, they bring so much more to the table. And regardless of the background, the other thing that you touched on is that cross-pollination. What I've seen is, is it, it's, it's, it's great to get people who have other perspectives or diverse perspectives because they've worked in finance, for example, they can understand the impact of security or maybe maybe these controls are going to be too onerous, for example, and but here's a, here's here's a better way that we could implement this because I understand their workflows, et cetera. It's kind of a simplistic example, but I think you know the broader experience that you have oftentimes helps to kind of helps with the creativity, I guess. Um, so I think that's some 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 great advice. Hey, I do, I do remember now. <laughs> so actually, I'm, I'm going to keep on this thread, and then I'm going to come back to the question I forgot. But on that thread, um, what about the the are you are you recruiting all from uh, from ex military? I know that Amazon and Microsoft. Who I'm, I'm I'm up here in the Seattle Bellevue area, for example. 
um, they have very strong programs to recruit people who are leaving the military. Um, do you see anything like that down in Silicon Valley? I, I absolutely. So huge. I mean, you said so many great things there that I'd like to talk about as well, too. <laughs> Go ahead. Backwards. Yeah, let's start backwards. So let's start with the military. Absolutely. Um, I'm part of military myself. Um, and I, I find this. Unfortunately, a lot of the people who go through a military career in either IT, security, intelligence, they contract back in, which I think is great. But at the same time, they have so much to offer. Like one of the best hires that I ever made at Sumo um, is a gentleman now that oversees our global operations center because we we combined a knock and a sock. Um, that guy, he had the worst LinkedIn you've ever seen, the worst resume you've ever seen. And, 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 and this is a dude who parachuted into Japan to stabilize a nuclear spill and operationalize the rescue of like 800 people. Um, so what do you think that guy's going to do in Silicon Valley when it comes to cybersecurity? He's going to be a star. Right. Because so used to like life and death type things, so used to rigor and process and dealing with human life that... And, and probably, you know, just execution, execution, execution that I think we should look that way. We have several prior military people on our team. And at Sumo, we take a lot of pride in that. We have a whole ERG, um, which is an employee resource group around the military as well, too. But I want to go back to like the prior thing we were talking about as well, because this is so in line. You were talking about that example of like finance people and their experience. Well, I'll give you a small one, too. When you combine security and IT, a very interesting thing happens. All of a sudden, the IT people start getting more security embedded in the way they think, the way they deliver great end user experience. But what I found that was really fun was the security people all of a sudden start getting better at customer service. They become more service oriented, more approachable, more understanding. Um, and I think back in the day, like when I came up, it was always security reporting into IT and mm -hmm. they kind of felt lost there, bolted on. Um, to where now, like with IT started, which we're seeing a big trend on this, IT starting to report to security, that kind of cross-pollination in a different way has been really good for the industry. That's huge. And, you know, depending on where you sit, your, your, your I guess, natural inclination would be just to say no, 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 you know. And I'm, it, it, if we talk about, for example, compliance uh, organizations, and it's like, but you're not helping, man. I mean, we, we've got a business to run here, right? So we can't just be 100% compliant and then not do any business. We got to, we got to figure out what's the, um, the appropriate level of compliance or security. Yeah. And um, so I, I don't know if that makes sense. Oh my gosh. Like I, I got the funniest story for you, you know, so okay. <laughs> I love, I love my compliance and audit team. Um, they're some of my favorite people because they're very underappreciated, but you're so correct. You know, so like when we rolled out FedRAMP, which is again, is a federal mandate and it's a huge offering for Sumo. Um, there was a, a control or regulation that said you had to have a 15 minute session timeout. Meaning if Mark is in an app and he's idle for 15 minutes, he's got to re-log in. So think about it from like a developer or finance perspective, like how many different applications you're dealing oh, with. Oh man. Oh Gosh. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our audit team was like, I mean, how many F-bombs would I be dropping every day? <laughs> and that F would sit right in the middle of MFA, by the way. And oh. so, um, you know, they were looking at deploying it like that. And then finally, like, you know, one of the, the engineers on my team was like, wait a minute, this is going to be so painful because when we went through the POC internally, we're going to be hated. So why don't we look at it from a different perspective? Let's do it through VPN, SSO, 
And then that way people are not doing it constantly on these different apps. And so you're right, like the way that you look at it and the way that you implement it, doing what's right for the business first while meeting the control is so important. Yeah, yeah. And it's it, oftentimes it is there is a judgment. There's no there's no perfect answer oftentimes, but um, but it's more of like a negotiation or a conversation. Hey, I got to ask you this. Um, um, I don't know, maybe about ten minutes ago, you talked about when we were talking about Sims, and you were talking about the importance of of uh, identifying anomalous activity or behavior. And I always love hearing these stories because, you know, it's like, oh, um, you know, the, the the finance guy never downloads, you know, this document from this location. And now he's in the other side of the he's on the other side of the world and he's downloading, you know, massive amounts of these the sensitive information. And, and, and there are, you know, variations of that story. What is you know, what are some of the more interesting anomalous activities or behaviors that you've seen? Yeah, and, and so that one's a really good one to start off with, you know, because I think most of the time what people look for is they'll write a rule that says, is Mark logging in from London and Seattle at the same time? Right. Well, that's kind of interesting, but <laughs> right? um, there's other questions that should pop up with those data sources. The question should be, is Mark logging in from London and from Bellevue, Washington at the same time? Where's his MFA push going? And is there a VPN connection? That is interesting. And so, but I think, you know, again, for a human to sit there and write these rules, you know, all for all, all across the organization for that is extremely difficult. It's much easier for the data, you know, driven by machines to go, yeah, guess what? <laughs> two of these three things are happening or two of these four things are happening. We've never seen this before. Let's go start investigating that. Um, I love that because I, I think that user access. So when people are, are moving to the cloud or looking to do defense in depth, zero trust, you know, take whatever flavor of the day you want, a lot of it starts with very simple fundamentals. You know, so identity and access management to me is at the core with logging, because now when you start combining those things with more of the machine driven data, you can start seeing anomalous behavior that you've never seen before. Um, there's situations evenly, even when you can tell from Slack, you know, or Teams, like all of a sudden this conversation or this public channel is exploding. Why? Right. Why? <laughs> yeah. What's going on there? Because that could be really good and we want to learn from that, or that could be really bad and we want to learn from that. And what has been the, you know, where is that gone from this Slack channel or Teams channel across the different orgs? Um, you know, like we're in one of those crazy times where people can get very, very passionate about things um, and putting them out there in public channels, putting them out there in public and can lead to a lot of different kinds of behavior. That's a, a whole nother conversation. And yeah, it can be pretty scary because you get these disgruntled employees or just people who, whether it's political or something going on in the, uh, the organization. And you're right, there's just so many different channels that people can um, amplify and magnify their 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 voice. So, hey, I got to say, George, this is, uh, I could probably go on for another hour here easily. Really enjoyed the conversation. Can you just uh, maybe touch on anything that's, uh, you know, in the pipeline or we should expect to hear from Sumo Logic over the next, you know, well, three or four months that are left in the year or early next year. And then um, any other information you want to share with the, uh, with the listeners? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, from a sumo logic perspective, we're still going to continue our work in this convergence into the observability and security market as they get tighter together. We feel like we have that connective tissue with logging analytics. You know, again, like it just cracks me up, Mark. Like people are always like, oh, logs, they're boring. First thing that goes wrong operationally, first thing that goes wrong with my coding, first thing that goes wrong from a security perspective, we all run to logs. And so mm -hmm. I that given us that that fundamental core business of what we're good at leads really well into that. So expect to see more from us there. The other one is going to be in the way that we do our offerings. We're, we're working really hard because the industry is finally there on more AI, more ML to become more predictive. Because, you know, again, like with most, most cloud sims, you know, what I've always seen, you know, because I came a lot from that space is you're only as good as the people you have writing those rules. And that's just too reactive. We've got to get better about being predictive, you know, where workloads are going to fail. Is it a security event? Is it not? And so expect from, more from us there and then more um, investment in security and compliance internally. That's never going to change. And I, and I hope this resonates with a lot of the folks listening out there is even though we are going into a different kind of times when it comes to a possible recession, tightening of dollars, those are the two areas you've got to continue to invest in because you know, it's a scary world out there. And, and, and something that you said, Mark, that was brilliant, security and compliance can actually be a business enabler and generate revenue, not a cost center, if you do it correctly. Well, since you said I, what I said was brilliant, I think this is a good place to stop the conversation. I like going on on a high note there. Hey, George, <laughs> really enjoyed the conversation, learned a lot from you, and um, hope to cross paths in person one day soon. Me too. Love to see you out in Bellevue. Take care. Hello. Welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.